0: sure is good to see everyone this morning, whether you're here with me in the room or you're with me online, I'm just glad we're together, and I'm really eager to jump into God's Word. We are in, as you heard Amy say in the video, a recurring series that explores the intersection between our mental and emotional health and well-being and our spiritual lives and discipleship to Jesus. And we're discovering in this series uh, that there is a lot of truth that overlaps in these areas uh, between these two Subjects. And there's, we're approaching all of these truths then from a biblical, holistic perspective. In these five weeks in particular, we're exploring the hope and healing that Christ provides to us even as we face some deeply challenging and sometimes devastating maladies of our souls. We've talked about addiction, we've talked about depression. Last week, Amy did a wonderful job talking to us about anger. Next week, we'll talk about anxiety. And today we are tackling shame. And so in today's subject, let me just start with a couple of questions. <clears throat> Pardon me. What do you say when you talk to yourself? Can we all admit we talk to ourselves? First of all, let's, let's all go ahead. I see that hand, thank you. That's right. Yeah, I know I do. and I bet you do too. What do you see when you look in the mirror? And I don't just mean physically, but what do you? see when you consider yourself. What do you say and what do you see? These are some of the most private and personal aspects of ourselves. In fact, sometimes we don't even know or notice these realities. They're just kind of there, running in the background. And often what we say and what we see are affected by something called shame. And shame lies at the root of many of our mental health challenges as well as our spiritual hurts and hang-ups. Now, to learn more about shame, I sat down with some of our outlookers who are also practicing mental health professionals. And so let's learn a little bit more on this subject from them before we go any farther. Take a look.
1: I would describe shame is this constant voice, critical voice inside of our head that is constantly putting us down. It makes us feel as though we need to hide who we really are, be defensive in conversations, and it also compares us to other people. We never measure up and shame is constantly pointing out our mistakes and the things that we've done in the past.
2: So thinking about shame, we really have to compare and contrast it to guilt. Shame is that I am wrong, and guilt is I've done something wrong.
3: I think shame can look a lot like depression, in the, if I'm not lovable, then why am I here? Big picture questioning, what's the point of me? What's the meaning of my life? What good am I? Who am I impacting? Some of those thoughts that are heavy, heavy thoughts
4: the origins of shame are often very broad in where they came from um, and what caused them, and oftentimes it'll manifest in different feelings you have about yourself and others. Um, then it, it may manifest in different actions and you know, choices that you feel like you're limited to in life, different labels that you put upon yourself, and, and feelings that you carry throughout the day.
1: Someone who's struggling with shame is going to experience a few things. First, maybe some perfectionism. The idea that I have to do it perfectly or I don't do it at all. And if I don't do it perfectly, maybe I won't be accepted or loved or get the sense of belonging
2: there's just this numbness to their life. We're not able to kind of like open up and love our partner or our children or our neighbor kind of like wholeheartedly in that vulnerable sense that we really are looking for.
4: It may um, change how we allow people to treat us. It may change some boundaries that we have for our life. and it may put a throttle on how much you view God actually loves you.
3: So much of what we're talking about can stem from childhood trauma. Not feeling like you were worthy as a child. What do you do with that as you grow up? When that's your core belief that you don't matter and nobody's going to look out for you, then it's all about me and you become more focused on how am I going to protect myself.
2: Shame can really be embedded in us at a very early age, and it really set us on a path of where we're just constantly looking for this admiration and affirmation.
1: Also, someone is going to struggle with all or nothing thinking. Living in those extremes can feel safe, but shame convinces us that living in the middle and living in the in-between, that's too much, and there is a lot of tension there, but we can become comfortable with it.
0: Many thanks to Deanna and Jonathan and Michael and Tamara for sharing their wisdom with us. We'll hear more from them in just a few minutes. So as we jump into this subject, let's figure out again what shame is and what shame is not. One of the things that we see when we look at shame is kind of like what Amy taught us last week about anger. But on the flip side, anger is very much a covering response. We get angry chances are really good there's something going on underneath and anger is a way to either deflect or or deflect attention from what's going on underneath or it's coming from somewhere down there and then the anger is just what presents itself. Shame is the opposite. Shame is often the thing that is going on underneath. It can be a little harder to detect and it drives a lot of our behaviors, actions, reactions to things. And also like so much of what we've covered, there is what you might call a normal level or version of what we're talking about. And then there's this very real and sometimes sneaky iteration of it. For instance, sadness, something we all feel can become depression. Anger, which uh, we all will feel can turn to controlling rage. And shame has some of that same thing as well, because there's a word uh, ashamed that sounds a lot like shame, right? We might kind of think, well, is it wrong to feel ashamed about something. And yet, scripturally speaking, we see throughout um, God's word that there are definitely things in our lives that should generate in us, in a healthy way, a level of being ashamed. We are ashamed of our wrongdoing, but we're not to be ashamed, for instance, of the gospel. And so there's a differentiation here that's important. It's vital that we know the difference between what could be called convicting guilt and condemning shame. They're not the same. Conviction and condemnation, guilt and shame are not to be confused. And so as you heard Jonathan say, guilt is about something I've done. Something I know is hurtful or wrong in some way. It is absolutely normal for me to feel ashamed for hurting you or for doing something that I know before God is wrong. That is, in fact, a healthy thing to feel. Uh, and we're concerned when someone doesn't feel right, some level of guilt For doing something wrong or hurtful to someone else. Shame, however, is something different. Shame is about who I am as a person, something about my character and my worth that is somehow wrong, unacceptable, and cannot be made right. I am now categorically unlovable and deeply flawed in a way that no one can fix. That's where shame begins to shove us. Now, I found this, uh, I, I saw this meme, you may have seen it. Too, but it's something that I could really relate to. And it absolutely describes an aspect of the shame brain. This is my brain recording my good memories, finger in the sand as the surf will quickly then erase whatever I have written. But this is my brain recording all my cringe memories, someone carving into stone carefully, never to be erased, right? And anyone relate to that or is it just me? Okay, I'm glad it's not just me. But man, I can totally relate to that. And that is absolutely an aspect of what we call shame. Shame, biblically speaking, is the voice of the condemner, right? The condemning voice we see throughout scriptures, attributed to Satan and his minions, voice of darkness, uh, absolute anti God way of seeing life that loves to get into my thoughts and yours. Shame is the condemning voice. Shame is the native language of the devil himself, but it is not the language of the Lord who loves us. In John chapter three, Jesus himself says, describing himself, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Now, wait a second. I thought that's what religion was all about, right? Isn't religion all about condemning me, reminding me of how far away I am from God? Oh, it starts with a good, healthy reminder that we have sinned against God. All of us as human beings, are that, that's true for us all. But here's what, here, here what Jesus is saying. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. This is not the point. This is not why he came. He came to save the world through him through his love, through his grace, his forgiveness, his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. That is the plan. The number one thing God wants for me and for you is to experience not his judgment, but his love. We need to hear that down deep in our souls. Now, when we see this, it doesn't mean, as our world is so often ready to say, It doesn't mean I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. It means I'm loved despite being far from okay. Anyone have a day where you're far from okay? What this tells us is I'm worthy in that I've been deemed worth it. Worth it by God. Worth it by Jesus Christ. That's an amazing truth to consider. Christianity, like no other attempt at faith, makes this clear and silences the condemning voice that says, we're not worth it. There is no place within Christianity for us to, in in truth, keep carrying the idea that we're not worth being loved. Because it is the core truth that we were found worth, we were found worthy of being loved. Perhaps no single sentence in Scripture speaks to this more squarely and succinctly than Paul's declaration in Romans 8.0. One, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Shame, perhaps more than anything else we're covering this month, is something we are absolutely meant to be freed from as we walk with Jesus and accept His gift of grace and salvation and love. That it is absolutely something that we are meant to be expunged It's meant to be expunged from us, this sense of shame. Now, there's lots to say on this, but before we go any further, let's go ahead and learn some more from our Outlook mental health professionals, uh, and then we'll jump into some more scripture. Take a look.
1: Some drivers of shame can be growing up in environments that are critical, controlling, or neglectful.
4: The environment they grew up in, the choices they made, what other people's views of us are.
1: Racism, ageism, sexism, ableism, that can
3: load a lot of shame on top of us. I think when we're talking about shame and we're talking about these core beliefs, you've got to have someone you trust gotta be able to talk those out loud when there's an opportunity to fill in the blank
1: we're generally going to fill it in with something negative about ourselves and the enemy would love nothing more than for us to stay negative negative. and so challenging those thoughts and asking questions such as is there another explanation for what happened you know is my thinking 100 percent true
2: you are enough if we can sit in that moment We contradict this shame that we're we're not good enough. And along with that comes joy, comes this gratitude, and we just, this pressure just goes away and we can just live in this authentic truth of who we actually are.
3: Hearing people, giving them space to be who they are authentically, validating that it makes sense why you would be sad about that. It makes sense why you'd be worried about that. Validating who people are authentically and what those core beliefs are and then slowly challenging them after rapport has been built.
4: We need to come to God in a childlike faith and accept the type of love He has for us um, and look at our own selves in the same way that God looks at us.
1: And also asking, is this who I want to be in this situation and who does God say that I am?
0: So that's what we want to spend the rest of our time looking at. The voice of shame, what it says, how to listen, what to listen to instead and how to choose. So we're going to be spending most of our time in Romans chapter 5, the first several verses. If you brought your Bible, feel free to open there, open it up on your app. If you want to grab an easy to read copy of the Bible, we have carts in the back. You can even take one home with you to keep. That's never a problem. We're going to be on page 770 of those Bibles, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Now, that is a packed sentence there. There's so much good stuff. I want to let those last few words really ring in our ears and in our souls, this grace in which we now stand. This is big when it comes to shame. Why? Because a word closely associated with shame is disgrace, disgrace, no grace. When I'm living in shame, when I'm letting that condemning voice of shame be the driving narrative of my day-to-day life, then man, there is no grace for me, no room for grace for myself. I'm not allowed grace. I have put myself in a category far from receiving grace. I am in disgrace. Often, just like Tamara said in the video, when I'm living in that place of disgrace, I will fill in the blank of my life all throughout the narrative of my day when I'm thinking about myself, who I am, what I'm doing, the value of my, myself, what my work, you name it. I will probably fill that in with negative things when there's a blank to be filled in. If there's any ambiguity about how I should feel about myself, if I'm operating in grace, I'll go negative. That is the void, the condemning voice that always wants to do that. It is not the Father's voice. It is not our Lord's voice. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, I want to turn to that passage as an aside here. We learn a little bit, something very powerful about Jesus in shame. This chapter begins by reminding us uh, of who Jesus is and that we should uh, that we can run our race with endurance because we keep our focus on Him. And it wraps up that first sentence, fixing our eyes on Jesus, verse 2, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And then it goes on to describe something about Jesus. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is our Jesus, scorning the shame of the cross. The cross, something there to, to uh, condemn him, executed by the powers that be as a criminal, naked and beaten and displayed for all to see. There was not a more shameful invention by humans than the cross. If you wanted to make someone feel shame and condemnation for all to experience, the cross was a perfect tool for that. Jesus, we read here, instead scorns the shame of the cross. Jesus essentially says, you seek to define me by this in shame and loss and disgrace. I scorn and disregard that. I cast it aside and I walk right into the reality of what's really happening when he walked to that hill with that cross across his back. When he was nailed to that cross, He walks into a reality that is ordained by God. There is no shame because God is here. He's essentially saying, you thought the cross was your tool to shame me. No, it's my tool. I'm choosing and using it to conquer shame. We can take this same attitude. We can learn from our Lord here. He approached something so shameful it really is beyond compare. The idea of dying publicly on that cross. He approached that and he scorned the shame. Set it aside. Didn't listen to that voice at all. And we can learn from him. And as we move through life, we can say like him. You want to define me. We say it to ourselves in that voice that we might fill in our own blanks. We might say it to anyone else who wants to shame us. And there are voices out there, shame, shaming voices, You want to define me, label me, put me in a disgraceful category, but God has something to say on this subject, and what he says matters most. I turn to it first. I cling to it most tightly. Shame tells us we're categorically unlovable, worthless, hopeless, beyond repair, beyond trying, beyond grace. But listen, Jesus scorns and disregards that lie and proves, proves the truth of our value and the truth of his love by going to the cross. Totally destroying any lying argument that wants to tell us we're unlovable. Unlovable? Show me unlovable, Jesus says, and I'll show you the cross. I'll show you how lovable you really are. I'll show you how worth being loved you really are. In a way that can just silence any other competing voices. As I was thinking about this subject and kind of preparing for this morning, I I was reminded uh, a few years ago the voice of shame that I heard when I, uh, in my own head, as I went through a season as a divorced person. That was something I never thought I'd be, but something I eventually chose 8 years ago so many of you walked with me and the kids through that time and man it was hard there was a voice inside my own head that really wanted to just keep shoving me into that kind of disgraceful category unqualified for ministry blown it something's happened in your life something happened to you or you've made a choice and you you just have a hard time thinking that you're lovable or worthwhile That's the voice of shame. And man, there were times when I had to really find the knob and turn that voice down in my own head. I remember I had a couple of pastor friends who treated me differently after that with some distance, but mostly it was my own self-imposed pressure and condemnation that put me in a different, distant category. And it took me a while to shake that. Maybe you can relate to that this morning. Maybe your circumstances are similar, maybe they're totally different, but that idea that something you've done or something that's been done to you has moved you into this kind of other unlovable category, man, that is a lie from Satan himself. You are immediately, intimately, fully loved by the God who made you, knows you, and wants to have a relationship with you. I love this from pastor and author Rich Velotis when he writes, uh, Adam and Eve... Hide behind a tree, naked and covered in shame. Jesus hangs on a tree, naked, and conquers shame. The cross of Jesus is the great reversal. It's really good. The voice of shame tells us we're not worth much. Jesus says we're worth giving his life. Back to our passage in Romans. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, shame certainly wants to erode all of those things. Definitely hope, for sure, character and perseverance too. But what is Paul saying? No, no, no. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Hope is the opposite of what we're talking about here in the voice of shame. We look above and beyond the limiting messages of shame that try to keep our heads down and our eyes low. Instead, no, we boast, as he puts it. We focus, we proclaim the hope that comes from God. Shame doesn't want us listening to any of that, let alone boasting in it or proclaiming it. But man, we got to tell ourselves a different story. What do we say when we talk to ourselves? We can boast in the hope of the glory of God, instead of being kind of hang dog about ourselves and filling in all those blanks with the most negative things that we can come up with. We can glory in the truth. We can glory in reality as God defines it. Our staff and elders just recently finished a great book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and in it we learned about our false self as opposed to our true self in Christ. Now, when we talk about the false self, shame, man, shame is the favorite outfit of the false self. Shame is like a heavy cloak that hides and hinders our true new selves in Christ. And so where our false selves show up, there's almost always some element of shame present. And in this book, we learn some stuff about what I look like, what we look like when we operate out of our false selves, a diminished kind of shame-driven view of ourselves. When I operate out of my false self, maybe some of these will feel familiar to you or help flesh out this concept that we're talking about here. When I operate out of my false self, I compare myself a lot to other people. I often say yes when I prefer to say no. I often don't speak up to avoid the disapproval of others. People close to me would describe me as defensive or easily offended. I have a hard time laughing at my shortcomings. I avoid looking weak or foolish. I'm not always the person I appear to be. I struggle with taking risks because I could fail or look foolish. And this next one's big. My sense of worth and well-being comes from what I have, my possessions, what I do, my accomplishments, or what others think of me, my popularity. I often act like a different person when in different situations with different people. Now, we all can likely relate to some of these at some times, maybe we go through seasons when most of these are true much of the time, but life in Jesus is absolutely intended to free us from this, that we understand we don't need the approval of others, that we're already approved by Jesus, that he loves us. We don't build our identity on those things we mention what we have, what we do, or what other people think. We don't tie our self-worth to those things, and we certainly become less and less the kind of person who's different here than we are here or with them over there. We become integrated. We have integrity, literally, in every sense of the word. And who I am, wherever I am, remains the same. That's a great place to be and a great way to live. And Jesus absolutely wants that for us. Shame absolutely wants the opposite. Shame operates the way Satan does, as we mentioned. Satan's a liar. Shame is full of lies, lies and, and really the best lies are half-truths, and so the half-truths that shame operates in go something like this. I'm a sinner. Well, it's half-true in Christ, but I'm saved by grace, right? Shame just wants to keep me in the first half of that truth, and a half-truth, friends, is a whole lie. Shame wants to remind me that I make mistakes. Grace reminds me, though, that I'm not a mistake. Shame wants to keep me uh, reminding myself of how undeserving I am of love. And grace wants to fulfill the story and say, regardless of whether you were deserving, you were already loved. You were counted worthy by a God who loves you relentlessly. I was really taken by something Jonathan said in the video. He talked about how you are enough. Sit in the moment, he said. And remind yourself that you're enough. And when when we can sit in that moment, he said, the pressure goes away and we can live in the authentic truth of who we actually are. Man, I I would almost define coming to church as that right there sometimes. We gather together and what do we do? We sit in a moment that can remind us of just how loved we are. Man, that's hard to remember sometimes in the world that we live in, in our day-to-day lives. We need a moment where we can sit And be reminded that we're enough. Man, I need that. Maybe you do too. Our Romans passage wraps up like this. And hope, verse 5, hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Let's read that one more time. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. See, here, here's another picture of what shame does. I, I, I'll admit, I really relate to this one. When I do something well, then, uh, what I'll tell myself is, oh, that was good. Okay. That was good. And then that's the end of it. Moving on. When I make a minor mistake, I'm flattened, right? Why am I like this? What's wrong with me? Will I ever get anything right? Who, 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 do I think I'll, who, who do I think I am to ever accomplish anything in this life, right? Minor mistake. I'm flattened, and I'm totally punishing myself for it. For me, I'm more like Jim Carrey's character in Dumb and Dumber, where I'm just, mm-mm-mm, right? Tell me I'm not the only one. Thank you. I feel that love this morning. We beat ourselves up. That's shame, man. And God has accepted us just as we are today. I don't know about you, but everything in me says, I don't know, that sounds like preacher talk right there. I don't know if I'm buying that right. But hear this again. God has accepted me and you just as you are today. Today. You say yes to Jesus. You accept that salvation. You, you, you confess him as Lord. You make him the Lord of your life. You receive his grace and forgive. He has accepted you. He has accepted me just as I am today. Now, everything in me wants to say, I, I suppose that's true. He'll love me even more when I'm better tomorrow. Hmm. Hmm. Who do I think I am? Does he grow me into a healthier and more whole person? Of course. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's what love does. But today... I am fully loved by him, just as I am. So are you. Yet in shame, we will put ourselves above God, so to speak. We will count ourselves unacceptable, unlovable, in some way. Something God has decided and declared is patently not true. But hear this. God's love has been poured into our hearts. God's love has been poured into our hearts. The single most important thing about me and about you is that we are known and loved by God. Can I accept that? Can you accept that? Shame speaks to value. I'm only as good as the things I do or accomplish. Shame makes us unable to accept love. Shame derails us in our spiritual growth and maturity. But love and grace get us back on track, authentically who we are. We heard that throughout the video as well. Some of us may, not still, may still not know exactly who that is, who we authentically are. That's okay, Jesus knows, and he works to make us into those people. I like what Michael said in the video. We see ourselves as God sees us in childlike faith. We accept the love he has for us, seeing us as he sees us. This is big. An elementary school teacher was uh, quoted in some of the reading that I was doing in preparation for this morning, and one of the things the teacher said was this, I always tell my students, if I wouldn't let you say it to someone else, don't say it to yourself, and that's good. What do you say when you talk to yourself? I'd invite you to invite Jesus into that conversation that goes on in your head, Let's listen to what he says, what's true, and not spend our lives telling ourselves something else, something false. Every week we remind ourselves of what's true when we receive communion. If you grabbed a bread and cup on the way in, I'd invite you to take that in your hands now as we wrap up our time together by thinking about what this represents. Every week we don't want to go any more than seven days, man, without coming together and reminding ourselves of what is true, who we really are. We're sitting in the moment and reminding ourselves that we were found worthy of love, sacrificial love, beyond anything this world has ever seen. Jesus died for all of us. Jesus died for each of us. Jesus died would have died for only you. That's how much he loves you. Romans chapter 10 says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. That's Paul in Romans quoting Isaiah from back in the Old Testament. And we're talking about something that's just always true. And so every week we come together to say, I believe in him. I don't just believe he exists. I believe him. That what he says is true. And friend, what he says is true is that he loves you. Let's take and eat the bread together. When we believe, then shame is not part of the equation anymore. Never, will never be put to shame. So we can rest in that and know that shame is no longer part of the equation of our lives. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Let's thank Jesus for that and take the cup together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. For the truth of your scripture, I ask God that you would let it grow in our hearts, that any seed planted today would just flourish as we remind ourselves, and Jesus, your Holy Spirit, reminds us throughout the week and weeks ahead, that we're loved. We're loved by you. We're accepted by you, that nothing we can do is going to make you love us more or less, but you love us completely. And in that love, you grow us into more healthy, integrated people who are kinder and gentler and wiser and, and uh, more loving to others. That all of that is just part of, the, part of the package of saying yes to you. And we're so thankful. Jesus, we can't do any of what we've talked about today on our own. But we're not on our own. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.